Ladies and gentlemen, goobers and ghouls, dear listeners, welcome back to Fear Boners. Fear Boners. I'm your host, Andrew, and it is mid-October. We are in full swing of the spooky season, and I couldn't be more excited to be here with you guys right now. There's been a lot of great content out there from different streaming services and stuff coming out, and there's still stuff to come out that I'm super excited for before the end of the month, but what we're here to talk about today is a little film that I had heard about earlier in the year that I knew was touring the festival circuit. It is a Spanish-language horror film, and you guys know I love Spanish horror movies. And this one is terrified. If you've seen it all over Twitter, all over the internet, it's because it was just added to Shudder recently, and I was super excited because I heard really good things about it because it is genuinely a spooky, scary, hell of a movie, and we're going to get into that in just a bit. Before that, we're going to go into what we're drinking and what we're watching. Currently, sipping on a little John B. Stetson bourbon. It's a simple bourbon. I went to the liquor store and was notified that apparently a a distillery, I'm not sure if it's a local distillery, was uh, going out of business and their, their specialty was this bourbon. And so the specific liquor store I went to had a ton of it. And they're selling it for mad cheap. Mad cheap means it's normally a $35 or $40 bottle of bourbon, but I got it for 10 bucks. That's not bad, considering it's pretty good bourbon. So, sipping on a bit of that, enjoying it on this lovely, lovely rainy Monday. But, as for what I'm watching, besides Terrified, getting in the spirit of things, cramming as many spooky, terrible, terrifying horror movies into every day as I possibly can, especially on the weekends as I'm catching up on other work around the house. I've been putting on um, as many movies as I possibly can and getting through them that way. Most of them I'm realizing I either haven't watched, which is kind of surprising, or I just haven't watched them in a very long time since I was probably like a kid. So recently I've been powering through all the classic slasher films. One of the last times I told you I was going through the Halloween series for obvious reasons because the new Halloween is coming out soon. I also have been going through some of the old Friday the 13th movies, but more recently, I've been powering through the Nightmare on Elm Street series, most recently catching up on numbers 3, 4, and 5, the Dream Warriors, Dream Master, and Dream Child from the series starring Freddy Krueger. And let me tell you, they hold up. They're still fantastic. All the effects are amazing. All the kills are incredible. And yeah, I've really sort of decided that out of those three iconic Halloween spooky spooky slasher series, Freddy Krueger is probably my favorite of the three big ones. Because his kills are always inventive, his kills are always crazy, mostly because he operates out of the dream realm, and he can pretty much do whatever he wants, which is awesome. And it really shows in those movies how hard those people worked to make it, you know, convincing in the way that you can tell a lot of hard work was put into it. Because if you think there was, you know, there's computer effects, there's also a 
a shitload of traditional effects. Stop motion animation, hand-drawn animation in a lot of those scenes, which is just incredible considering the lengths that they went to to make those movies so incredibly interesting and so compelling. And the fact that something as insane as a, a, a demon that basically haunts your dreams and making it seem cognizant and having the stories really flow and the continuity making sense for the most part. Some of the movies can be a little frustratingly weird and upend logic at some times, but I feel like of the whole series, 3, 4, and 5 is, are, are pretty strong. One, obviously, the original is still amazing, the best. It's so many iconic scenes, so many iconic lines. But two, I was surprised when I watched that one the other day, it was really kind of weird and sort of out of place. I mean, it's a fun movie, but it's like almost out of place with the rest of them. I feel like you can almost go 1, 3, 4, 5, skip 2, or have 2 come later. There's not as much that links it to the rest, but you still watch it. I mean, they're all incredible. I'll continue my trek through the Freddy universe um, in the, the days to come, probably. But yeah, so that's what I've been catching up on. And so, yeah, let's let's talk about the film that I'm here today to tell you guys about. A little production called Terrified. It's a very... I don't want to say similar, but if you watched a movie that we talked about before ghost stories which is also another film that came out this year it's it's fairly similar in the format in the storytelling but ultimately it is a, its own movie um it's a lot more intense a lot more graphic i feel like for the most part and yeah it definitely it basically combines elements of ghost stories and a lot of uh, it does and i'm not just saying this because it's in spanish but it does have a lot of elements that we see in like classic Guillermo del Toro movies and I think that's what really drew me to this film. Because at first, you know, I'd heard a lot of good things, and I know I had to be in the right mindset to watch this film. The night that it was released, I think I got home late from, like, a work outing, and I was a little buzzed, and I was just like, I'm not going to be able to pay attention to this movie. So I watched it the next day, and I'm glad I did. Not because it's, not because it's complicated or anything like that, but because, obviously, you're going to have to read the whole movie. But also the fact that there are little subtle things in addition to all the in-your-face horror stuff and the jump scares and shit like that in this movie, there are a lot of subtle things that if you don't pay attention to the film while you're watching it, you might miss. But basically, to start, let me tell you, we're probably going to spoil this movie, so if you haven't seen it, get Shudder if you don't already have it. I don't advertise for them. I'm not paid by Shudder, but so far, in my experience of having it for the last, like, three months or so, it's an incredible service. Um, it's very cheap for what it's worth for what you get out of it. There's so much great content on there and there's so much great content coming on there in the next few months, which is incredible and I'm super excited about, especially if you're a Joe Bob Briggs fan. Um, but beyond that, Terrified's on there now and you guys got to see this movie. So, all right, with that out of the way, we're going to get into spoilers. If you haven't seen it, find a way to watch it. Come back and listen to the rest of the episode. So here we are. Terrified opens and we're basically introduced to a small little neighborhood where there is... A woman in her kitchen, and suddenly she's cleaning some dishes or, or something, and the water is going down the drain, and we hear this noise, and it's just kind of making this kind of strange gargle, whisper, strange noise. Like, I didn't hear a voice coming out of the drain, but that's where we're kind of introduced to the whole paranormal, supernatural element that this film's going to convey throughout the, the length of it, is she starts hearing a voice coming from the drain in the sink. And it's pretty spooky, but one thing throughout this entire film, because the voice in the sink sort of comes back later in the movie, but nobody at any point actually opens 
the drawers underneath the sink to see if there's anything actually down there. That would be, if, if I were in my kitchen, which, you know, the sink in my kitchen makes some pretty weird noises at times. I've never heard it sound like anybody saying nothing, but if I did, I think the first thing I would probably do is open the little doors under the sink to see if there was anybody down there fucking with me. But the thing of it is, she gets real spooked out. Her husband gets home from work or something or wakes up. I can't remember if it's like a situation like that. And he can tell that she's like spooked. But his initial response, that's right, it's after work because he gets home from work and his initial response is, oh, did you decide not to make dinner? Which is kind of, I mean, yeah, it's, it probably wasn't necessarily intended that way, but it's kind of a shitty set up to basically assume that the the wife is there just making dinner for him and then he's just like, ah, well, you didn't make dinner? Well, fuck. But anyway, he asks her that, and you can tell that she's she's just, like, standing outside. She won't even go in the kitchen because she's so freaked out. And they have this great exchange where she's trying to tell him, like, no, I heard these noises from the sink. And he's kind of at first thinking it's weird, but then it sort of builds up to a point where he's trying to talk her down from being so nervous. And then he's finally like, well, what did they, what did they say to you? And then before the scene ends, she says something to the effect of, like, oh, they're going to kill me or... I'm going to die. Something like that. Something something, something very obviously spooky. But it does work. The tension in that scene is built because you have, obviously, the person who believes what they heard and the skeptic, and then so quickly her reaction to the event. And because, obviously, as the viewer, you were there, you saw it. But even the husband is very quickly convinced something's off. Something's wrong. He doesn't remain the skeptic. Like, husbands in this situation in movies like this usually remain the skeptic. And so from there... It's the night, and I think there's a spooky, there's a spooky, well, she gets up, and she's getting showered, and it's still dark out, but then he starts hearing something as soon as she's in the bathroom, but we're previously introduced to the aspect of them having a noisy neighbor who is apparently renovating. There's a lot, so it's going to sound like I'm jumping around a little bit, but one of the things that's great and also distracting about this film is the fact that the story jumps around a little bit up front and it's a little confusing. The narrative is a little disjointed, but then it definitely all comes around towards the end and fits together. But in this case, we know that they have a noisy neighbor who is apparently making renovations to his house next door. And so when the husband wakes up and hears this banging, he's convinced that it's the neighbor like banging nails on the wall or something. So his wife's in the shower. He says, hey, I'm going to go check in with the neighbor, tell him to shut it, you know, shut it down because it's like four or five in the morning. And he's got to stop that because I'm still sleeping. So then he goes across the street. He walks. Must be a really, like, nice neighborhood where you can walk. Even if it's your neighbor and you live pretty close together like that, the dude literally walks out of his house in his underwear down a block to the neighbor's house to complain. Not a block, but, like... I don't know. I'd never walk outside in my underwear. I don't want to get arrested. But uh, he walks down around, and it's interesting because the houses, the neighborhood's pretty cool. All the houses are kind of cool. It's a nice little neat, tiny, compact neighborhood. It has a mailbox, but the mailbox has an intercom. So instead of, like, letting himself in and knocking on the door, he he uses the buzzer on the intercom in the box that's at the gate. So he's nowhere near the house, but he's buzzing the intercom on the box to notify the neighbor and say, like, hey... And I guess when you buzz, you can like talk into it. It's like a, it's almost like a like a fast food walkie-talkie box that you go at the drive-through. It's like one of those. So he, every time he hits the button, it buzzes, and he's like, "Hey, man! Like, stop banging your hammer! Like, 
we're trying to sleep. It's too early. Like, what the fuck? And after a while, there's feedback. Like, someone is on the other end, but not saying anything. And you can kind of hear breathing, which is a little weird. And we find out why in a little bit. But it's it's a little unnerving. There's all these little subtle things. That's not one of the subtle things you wouldn't get, but, like, it really kind of helps to build the tension and weirdness. Because then after yelling for a while and screaming, like, you know, stop your banging, he goes back to his room. He goes back. The husband goes back into the house, back into his room, and gets back into bed. And it's like he's going to settle down again. And then he hears the banging again. And he's, like, pissed for a second. But then he realizes, and it's like the tone, too, that you can also, the viewer can also kind of realize that the banging is coming from elsewhere within the house. The banging is coming from within the house. (laughs) There's this great moment where you're like, oh, shit, that wasn't the neighbor. So then there's this tense scene where he's like, he gets out of bed and he realizes the banging's coming from the bathroom where his wife was supposedly taking a shower. And he's like slowly going to the shower and the banging's getting louder and then he, like, opens the door. He opens the door almost like he's never seen his wife naked before, and he's worried about seeing her naked, and he doesn't want to offend her, and he doesn't want to, you know... It's like, well, that's a weird relationship to have with your wife if you're afraid to see her naked. But then... We don't even see her naked. It's terrifying. Pun intended, I guess. She's literally floating. Free, suspended, like, floating in the middle of the bathroom covered in blood and there's just blood all blood smears blood splatters like everything all over the wall and then you have this like split second where you get to take that in and then she's banged against the wall and 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 she's clearly being like thrown around like a rag doll by some supernatural force some ghost or what have you specter i i don't really know but it's terrifying because it's just first you see the long shot of it like almost over his shoulder you see her floating and then she bangs into the wall like you see it all of it and it's fucking freaky as hell and then you see close-ups of her head like just hitting the wall like harder and harder and harder and then like the close-up shots you see her face and both of her eyes are just blacked and like bloated and her face is like bent out of shape and she's black and bloody and just oh it's so Ugh, it's brutal and she just keeps and it just keeps like basically the cuts keep getting quicker and quicker and quicker she keeps slamming against the wall and then after a while he tries to stop her but then you're thinking at least I was when I saw this I was like oh shit I know what's gonna happen he's gonna like touch her or he's gonna get covered in blood and they're gonna think he beat the shit out of her and killed his wife and he keeps trying to stop her but she keeps slamming against the wall and he's literally he's at a point where he's he's at least pulled her down from being suspended high to the ceiling but she's on the floor and he's just holding her and he's trying to hold her head but then it just looks like he's slamming her head against the wall and he's crying and he's trying to get her to stop and it's like freaky as all hell it's so like this is this is one of the like the weirdest creepiest parts of the movie but it's so good and so brutal and then he's there covered in blood screaming crying and then all of a sudden i think we cut to him in jail (laughs) and yes he has been formally charged with the murder of his wife because when they found him he looked like he was just covered in blood of course his fingerprints and everything were all over her body and everything else and it just looks like he did it to her and it's looks real bad and he's in an inter he's brought into an interrogation room with these three people who don't look like cops look like some sort of officials, but we are slowly introduced to the idea that they are essentially paranormal investigators. 
there's one who sort of stands out like a sore thumb, who is a guy who I think it's implied he's not from there. He's like from the U.S. I think they do explain at one point his Spanish is his Spanish is very good, but it's I think there's a couple points where they make a point of him to like not be aware of like what word to use, um, which is interesting. Which is a fun character flaw or not a character flaw, but a characterization to just include for him. There's two older men and an older woman, and they all have different specialties when it comes to the paranormal. They get they get fleshed out throughout the movie their characters, but I sort of almost wish that there was more to them. Two of them are, one of them's a doctor, one of them is more of an academic, and then one is a, an ex-police chief or a detective of sorts. Um, so they all have sort of different backgrounds when it comes to the paranormal, but you sort of learn throughout the rest of the film where their experience lies and why they got drawn into this and how they got brought together. And they're saying like, we believe you. They show him these photos, and he doesn't want to look at them because he thinks they're photos of his wife, but they're not. They're photos of another woman that this happened to a few years back in the U.S. under very similar mysterious circumstances where the husband was suspected of the murder, but there was no like clear, clear evidence that he did it, and it was very similar, and so they're trying to explain to them that, that it's something that happened before, and we want to try to help you because we believe you are innocent. And they're trying to get more information from him, and that's when... They ask him to explain anything that he remembers from the night or leading up to the night. And he starts talking about how his neighbor, the one who's making all the noise, making all the renovations, has been acting increasingly weird lately. And he mentions that, and he also he gives them his name, and that's when they recognize the name. But you don't recognize the name, because this is where the story starts to jump around a little bit. So, then he also mentions that there was an accident, which leads us into another story. So, at any given point, there's technically three different... There's th three investigators, three kind of related, but separate, spooky, haunted, ghost, anomaly, specter stories going on throughout this film. And then we are introduced to his neighbor. There's no real definition of time or how it jumps around. I don't think... I might be wrong... But I don't think we're told, like, what day it is when certain things occur, because there's definitely some back and forth. But we're introduced to the neighbor. He's at work. He's rubbing his eyes. He's drinking a bunch of coffee. But he's also just... You can tell he hasn't slept well. Uh, and he's very... He looks like a paranoid person. He looks like he's sick almost. And he's on the phone. He's talking... What sounds like he's talking to a doctor's office. But at a later point, we find out that essentially the the person that he's talking to or trying to get in touch with I believe, is the woman who is one of the paranormal detectives, paranormal investigators, and he's trying to arrange a meeting with her, but she keeps ignoring him, and then they wind up getting twisted up in this as we're introduced to him, and we see that his his plight is very creepy, and that he's saying that he knows there's something there, and he knows he's not hallucinating, and he just hasn't been able to sleep because he keeps seeing things move, and things are not where they used to be, and... You know, he's worried for his safety, and he needs somebody to help him, and he's talked to all the specialists, but they keep pointing him to this person, and it's very vague. They never really give any names as to who he's technically talking to. But this would have all happened before what we just saw. So, then we go back to his apartment at night, and you can tell that he's very tentative and very hesitant to go to sleep. And he's sort of setting everything up and getting sort of nervous. And as soon, pretty much as soon as he lays down in bed, he's got a very small, 
like the other people had like a pretty nice setup. It was a small apartment or a small house, but it was still pretty nice. His seems like maybe it's supposed to look that way because he's he's been so shitty and he hasn't been sleeping and he's probably been freaking out and been sick and what have you, but he has a tiny bed. Like he is living the bachelor life. And as soon as he lays in the bed, it starts getting pulled away from the wall. Like his bed is moving and it's very subtle, but you hear the, and as it moves, like the sounds in this movie are great too. And so creepy. And he's got the light on and he's checking under the bed. He's like looking for something and you don't know what it is yet. But then as he settles in and I think he shuts off his light and then there's a beat and then it kind of pans out and you see, it doesn't even waste any time. You see under his bed, there's like this broken man, tall, stereotypical kind of creepy man, but still super effective, creepy as all hell, tall, gaunt, made up to look very pale. But the thing about this one, I think he's got like white contact lenses in, so he, he's just got full white eyes, but also his arms and legs and everything are all mixed up. So, like, it almost seems... Whatever effect they did to make this work the way that it did, it's really creepy because he's, like, he's laying almost on his back on his side so you can see him, but then his legs are bent the other way so that it looks like his legs are up, like, by his head unnaturally and his arms are kind of twisted in a weird way. So he's almost, like, just jammed, like a human knot, and he's just jammed under the bed and he's kind of, like, tweaking a little bit and moving weirdly. And so we're just suddenly introduced to that. So that's what this guy's been dealing with. And so we basically, throughout the the next few um, moments of the film, we're basically introduced to his daily struggle of living with that because it keeps waking him up, whatever it is. Because then he hears it and it's moving around. And we're sort of introduced to the idea that it can only exist in the dark, but like from different angles. And... Like, if you don't see it with your right eye, you might see it with your left eye, things like that. Like, the way that this thing exists, it's almost, like, in a different dimension. So, he hides under his blanket one night, and the thing, like, is just kind of touching him. And, like, it doesn't want to be seen. That's the thing, is it doesn't seem like it really wants to be seen. So, when he looks at it, it almost hides. But, originally, he's, like, super scared, so he covers himself with his blanket, and we have this great tense moment where it's kind of, like, caressing the blanket, and we can see because there is kind of a light casting a shadow, and then he goes to work the next day, and he's just, like, again, like, just dead tired, and looking worse than he was the day before, and he's calling this office again, and he's, like, freaking out, almost screaming at the phone at work, and, like, his workmates are all looking at him, he's like, but I need to make an appointment with this person, like, I need her to help me, she's the only one who can help me, and he keeps getting put off. Whoever's talking, like, the, the receptionist or whoever is, like, scheduling the appointments with this woman. It's like, no, she'll talk to you later. Or she'll be in touch with you. And, like, keeps putting it off, putting it off. And then, again, a third night, or second night, I guess, after that, they wrap that call, the, the receptionist person says, well, you know, if you could really get some proof of what you're seeing or what you're hearing or what you're feeling, like, that would be great. So... He comes home with, like, a really fancy camcorder and sets it up on top of his closet. And he sets it up there and tries to go to sleep. And sure enough, he wakes up to the sound of doors slamming. And the the camera has fallen to the floor. It's still on, though. So he sort of kind of scrambles to the floor to look at it for a second. And then he looks and he rewinds and he watches it and he sees this like crazy tall creepy white gaunt dude 
just come out of his closet or no go back into his closet he re- he rewinds it long enough to see him like watching him and then he sneaks back into his closet so at that point he realizes he's in the closet so then he has this tense moment where he like turns around he gets a gun what does he get he gets something weird that you wouldn't expect him to have but he has it and he opens the closet and they really ratchet up the tension. He opens the closet. It's still really dark in the closet. You can't tell what's going on. And he just swishes through all the clothes. And you're waiting for the thing to pop out and get him. But it doesn't. Like, there's nothing in the closet. After you saw it, go into the closet. So then he sits back down on the ground to review the tape. Re- rewinds it all the way. Sees that the thing initially crawled out from under his bed. Stood there and just kind of watched him sleep for a while. And then went into his closet. And then it's at that point that we hear... And the closet opens up, and sure enough, this thing kind of, like, creeps out and is just, like, right behind him, like, breathing down his neck. And we just see it there. And it's like, how did he not hear that? And then, yeah, I don't think we really hear... We don't... Okay, so then after that, we don't really hear from him much anymore. But we were, at one point, while he was going back and forth to work, we are introduced to this group of boys who are playing soccer in the street. And... There's a few moments where, like, the, I think we're, like, teased or hinted that, like, there might be something there. Like, these, these boys are going to be more important later on. And at one point, like, you can tell that it is kind of a busy street. And I think if you know what I'm hinting at, it is, to, it is kind of going to go where you think it's going to go. There's a moment where the boys kick the ball and it goes into the yard of the dude who has the creepy ghost guy in his closet. And at this point, it's it's very apparent that maybe he's, like, lost his mind at this point. And in the, in the grand scheme of things, I think this is still technically before the first bit where the woman gets slammed in the bathroom and, like, just jellied in the bathroom. And so the little boy goes to get a soccer ball. And the ghost guy, the guy with the creepy naked man in his closet, is, like, staring out his window. And, he, like, he, he's got, like, the shutter shutter, so all you can see is just, like, his crazy rabid eyes like his beady, sleep-deprived, crazy eyes, and he's just saying, he's like, get the fuck off my lawn, get the, get the fuck off my lawn, like, get away, you, you shouldn't be here, you're not, like, you can't help me, get off my lawn. And the kid is just, like, terrified. And so he's backing away, backing away, he's got his ball, and he's kind of just, like, backing up, backing up, backing up, and without knowing it, he backed up into the street, and then he just gets mowed over by a bus. Like, it's one of those perfect final destination moments where you're like you kind of know what's going to happen what it's building up to and the kid is just standing there in the street and then just mowed down by a bus and so there's a creepy scene where it pans out and there's his one friend who's playing soccer with is just like petrified because he just sees his, his mangled friend in the street they don't really show the mangled kid um but you do see like little feet like a giant pool of blood you get the idea a bunch of neighbors are there with, like, horrified looks on their face. And then there is the, the one neighbor from the the one who's in jail for potentially killing his wife comes out, screams, and, like, calls his wife and tries to get the, the kid's mom and tell her. And then there is, like, a funeral scene. And then at that point, I didn't really know what to think because I'm like, okay, well, like, what happened to those people? Like, what time? That's when I realized when, like, all of a sudden he's out there that, like, the time was jumping around. So, like, the wife was alive again by the time the kid was killed. So now we've jumped back in time and we and we still haven't caught up. So then there's the funeral. And then we're introduced to the police officer. Who I was like, this guy looks familiar, but it's already been so long since we saw him in the beginning. Or not in the beginning, but when we're introduced to the group of paranormal detectives. 
when he comes back and he's with a buddy of his, no, he gets a call and is called in for very vague reasons, which are explained. He probably does the best job of explaining why he's where he's at or like why he's the one that people count on when dealing with like spooky shit. So his other detective friend, who I think is chief of police, were introduced to this guy who's like, not really, like, he's like sort of heavy set, but not really, but you can tell they're kind of trying to work the angle that he's lived like a hard life and he hasn't really taken really good care of himself because he's always sweating, he's smoking, and he keeps referring to having a health condition. Uh, but he's a younger guy, so you're going to have to assume it's probably something to do with his heart. And so he's at the scene of a crime, calls in the older detective who's also the paranormal investigator, and you're like, well, shit, like, why, what's going on? And then you realize he shows up at the neighborhood, and at first you're like, oh, is he part of the investigation of the murdered wife? Is he investigating, like, the creepy neighbor who's renovating and, like, scaring kids into the street? Like, what's going on? And no, it's the mother's house of the kid who was just smushed by the bus, and you're not sure what, like... They're talking, they're very vague about what's going on, and he's like, you know, I wouldn't have called you unless I thought it was something, you know, that you might be interested or that you might be able to help with, and the guy's like, don't worry, like, you know, I've seen this before, and he's already trying to explain what's going on rationally, and that's when you sort of, they walk into the house, and you see, first you see that the mom is, I don't think she's, like, crying, but she's, like, talking with some other detectives, but she's covered, she's kind of dirty, and you also see that there's, like, little muddy footprints everywhere. Like, this is one of the things, like, if you don't pay attention, there's little muddy footprints everywhere. And then they bring the older detective, or the older ex-detective, he's not a police officer anymore. I don't think that's what's implied. And all of a sudden, there is the child, who was just killed by a bus, sitting at the kitchen table, completely just... You can tell he's putrefied, he's all, like, he's black, he's moldy, and they start talking about, like, well, yeah, you know, like, he was buried three or four days ago, do you think the mom would be crazy with grief enough to dig up her son and bring him back and make it look like he just walked in the house, she's claiming he just walked in the house, and then it just starts getting weirder and weirder, and that the camera just keeps focusing on this hideous, unfortunate little dead kid, who the mother... I think it's implied. I don't think it's implied the mother set him up with the bowl of cereal and the milk. It's almost implied that he got it, because then the one police chief keeps insisting. He's like, "Well, yeah, like my guys keep coming in here and saying that if you don't watch him closely enough, he moves, or he'll move out of the corner of your eye, or like he'll move when you turn the lights off. He'll move like almost imperceptibly, but he'll move." And so they're talking about it, and so at that point, you're waiting for him to move. Because then the other guy, the older guy, keeps making these these little, like, his detective skills start kicking in. He's like, well, yeah, but if you notice, like, look at the kid's fingers. Like, they're all chewed up. They're all, like, the nails are gone. Like, his fingers are bloody. Like, he dug himself out of his grave. Like, he's been digging for the last few days, and he came here, and, you know, his, sock, his shoes are wet because he walked through the wet grass because it rained the other day. And all this stuff. And as they're saying that, they notice they're also just like, yeah, we can't let anybody see this. Like, we've got to find a safe way to get him out of here and rebury him, and then we'll deal with everything else. And, like, then it's revealed that the mom, this kid's mom, who's essentially gone crazy at this point, or it's, like, at least dealing with this 
you can't imagine that someone would be in the right mindset. They're basically like, we need to get the kid out of the house, not only so that she doesn't see that we're moving him, but also so that nobody in the neighborhood sees that we're moving him. So they have like EMTs there, dope her up so that she can get some sleep because she's freaking out. And they turn the light off in the kitchen because they don't want anybody looking in the window and seeing him in the neighborhood. And that's when he kind of moves. He like knocks over the cup of milk and he looks like he's in a little bit of it, like almost barely in a different position. And it's super creepy. But then they go into the other room and they're talking like, what could possibly do this? And the the one, the older detective, the older ex-detective tells this great story about how he's seen some weird shit. You know, he saw like dead people essentially come back to life and you can't tell if he's trying to make some medical uh, excuse or like explain how this can, you know, muscle spasms after death and things like that. But then you realize it's like, no, I've seen, you know, I have seen people come back to life. I have seen ghosts. I have seen he doesn't use the word zombies, but it sounds like he's seen zombies, like people come back to life after death. And that's when you realize, that's when I at least made the connection. It's like, oh yeah, he's the paranormal guy from like the first scene or like one of the early scenes of the movie. So this is sort of him establishing himself. But then at that point, they're trying to basically plan how to get the body back out of there. He leaves and goes out to the front of the house. And that's when he notices the woman across the street who's investigating the house of the dude with the creepy naked guy in his closet. So literally these three houses where all this shit is going on are all, like, they're in the neighborhood. They're all right next to each other. And so he recognizes her, calls her by name, she turns around, and then they have almost this moment. Like, they don't know each other at that point, but he wrote a book at some point about his paranormal experience, and she's a known paranormal scholar. And so he recognized her from his research, she didn't really know him at first, but then he started... It's almost a weird exchange, because she's taking pictures of this creepy house, and he's asking her why she's taking pictures, but then he's like, well, I've got something really interesting that you should probably see. I mean, I don't think... I don't think this is how, like, police matters should be handled. Just, like, inviting random people in off the street to see dead dead kid, dead child bodies. But it's interesting how he loops her, and he's like, oh, you, you gotta know something about this. You've dealt with a lot of spooky shit. And so after they have this weird exchange and they introduce themselves, he brings her in and that's where she points out she thinks it's weird at first. He introduces her to the other detective, the one with the heart condition. And he's just like, okay, well, yeah, maybe you shouldn't bring her in. Like, she's not really on the team. Like, she's not like, why are we telling her this? Because they've also made it quite apparent that they don't want too many people to know about this because he's getting ready to retire. He doesn't want this as a smudge on his record. It also was like a fact. It was almost insinuated that maybe this kid was his kid because he claims that he had a relationship with the kid's mom at one point but it's not really totally clear so it's like really weird what their relationship is but then the 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 older woman the paranormal investigator woman she starts pointing out things she's like well did you like what's this all about and then you see it and pans out and there's a long shot and you see the little muddy footprints are like all over this like there's footprints handprints like the like the kid was crawling all over the outside of the house before he let himself in. Then they walk in. He tells, he kind of catches her up to speed. He shares another story. And it's then it's at that point where she quotes the end of the story. And she's like, oh yeah, I read your book. I know you. I remember you wrote that book about all your crazy paranormal encounters as a police detective. And then he's like, well, yeah, but like, this is a doozy too. And he just brings her into the kitchen and she's like, well, shit. Okay. There's a dead kid there. And they sort of have a similar talk about, like, how this could have happened, like, what they're going to do, what's the best for it. 
it's at that point where they're basically trying to figure out what their next steps are going to be when they go back into the living room to discuss this. And then the kid's friend from before who saw him get run over is wandering back from school. He takes like a shortcut home, winds up walking through their backyard to collect some of his toys. And he sees in the, in through the, like the backyard window and he sees the dead kid sitting at the table with a bowl of cereal. And he just starts knocking on the window, saying the kid's name. And all of a sudden the dead kid just slowly but surely like you hear bones cracking and you hear like skin pulling and it's just like uh, and he like turns slowly with these dead eyes and looks at the kid and the kid freaks out and runs away and something happens something else gets knocked over they all run back into the kitchen see that it's disturbed and say like okay shit before anybody sees this we got to get him out of here we got to do something and so they get the bright idea they wrap him in a blanket and they take the body and they put it in the backyard ice freezer. It's like a giant ice freezer for, like, spare meat, what have you. So they put the kid's body wrapped in a blanket in there. And then all of a sudden you can kind of hear a faint murmur. And the, the one detective who is, like, the skeptic at this point is just like, no, the, the, you know, I knew her, but I think she's crazy. I think she just dug up her kid. Like, this isn't supernatural, but, like, I wanted to at least get, you know, somebody's perspective on it. Like, he doesn't believe in anything at first. He's listening to the ice chest, and all of a sudden, it's just this kid is wailing, like a child is crying from the inside of the icebox, and the thing starts jumping and jumping and jiving and, like, shaking. He's trying to get out, and then they just put a bunch of weight on top of it. And then that's when we pan out and see that his friend is at the top of the garden wall with a phone taking a video. So, from there, we are basically brought back, I think at this point, I think we're brought back to the interrogation room, or there's another scene where they sort of get together... And the other guy's brought in. The woman tells the detective about her friend from the U.S., who's also a notable paranormal uh, investigator. And he comes in, and they have a plan, basically, to investigate the whole neighborhood. Because then they start to realize the different links between the houses and the different links between the tenants and how it's essentially like a giant haunted neighborhood. Like maybe a nexus of ley lines or something where there's just so much supernatural activity. And so... Sure enough, they're like, oh, well, there's essentially three of us. We could break this up, and each one of us will spend a night in the house, in one of the houses, and try to solve whatever's going on and try to get evidence. They don't necessarily set a goal. Like, I don't think they're trying to de-haunt any of the houses. They're just trying to find out what happened. I mean, ultimately, they're trying to prove that the one guy didn't kill his wife, I guess, still. And that's another weakness of the movie, is that at this point, there's so much going on. So much cool, spooky shit is going on. It's It's getting to a point where it's sort of hard to keep track of what's going on or what like what their motives are why they're doing this beyond the fact that maybe they're just trying to document proof of the afterlife or proof of the supernatural but then it it just gets like off the rails weird and spooky because then you know there's just a, a mood that's conveyed by this point in the movie that you're like well shit i don't think anybody's going to survive by the end of this movie because it just the tension keeps ratcheting up and keeps getting more and more and more more and more morbid and more dark and yeah, basically, each person gets put into one of the houses. The detective is in the house with the kid, I believe. The American guy and the older detective in the heart condition are in the house with the naked, the creepy naked dude. And then the woman, I think, is in the house with the the voices in the pipes. No, the other way around. The, the woman is in the house with the creepy naked dude. And yeah... So some of the stuff starts to not really make sense because you're not sure what to expect. You don't think... I don't know if it was ever implied that there were three separate ghosts or just it was a whole haunted neighborhood and it's all just interconnected. But then, yeah, a lot of hooky spooky shit happens. 
a lot of great moments. There's like weird electromagnet action that magnetizes weird parts of the house with knives flying everywhere. There's like spooky moving furniture and shit. Like classic haunted house imagery, classic spooky ghost story imagery, but just done really well. And it's just at this point, you're basically in in the seat of the the skeptic detective because you don't want to believe any of this is happening or like why it almost feels like it came together too quickly and they didn't prepare properly to go into this battle or whatever they were planning on doing because it just the end of the movie wraps up very not quickly but almost conveniently in the pack that there is a scene where the woman basically sets up because there's there's a part in the beginning when the the couple where the husband is accused of killing the wife he keeps complaining to the he does have a an encounter with the crazy neighbor who's quote unquote renovating his house and he says he's like dude do you realize you're banging so hard on your wall that you're causing a crack in my wall so the woman paranormal detective sets up at this crack in the wall and is convinced that she sees not the ghost or the dude who lived in the house who was doing... He's crammed himself in there and sa- suddenly he's like the broken man. So she's flashing a light and she's trying to communicate with him. And like we see that she's sort of set up there. And then the older detective is looking for anything that would prove to him that the boy is still alive and like existing in, in on like another plane or like in that body. And then at one point he's sort of distracted because he looks out a window because... His one friend, the younger detective with the heart problem, is with the American, and then they have this weird instance with the magnetic knives where a knife goes through the one guy's hand, and he saves him because the knives almost kill him, but then he's worried he's going to bleed out, so then he's he's like, at that point, he's like, okay, I know this is actually a problem, and we're actually being attacked, or we're actually having issues, and I need to get out of here, so like he's, at that point, he's getting so nervous, like you get nervous for him because you're like, okay, this guy's going to build up into a heart attack, I know what's going to happen, he's just getting more and more nervous, he keeps thinking he's going to smoke, but like if he smokes, he could trigger a heart attack, and that's like another tension that's sort of building up. Like, you don't know what's going to happen ghost-wise. You don't know what's going to happen health-wise. And so then at that point, basically what happens is the one detective says, Oh, dude, where are you? I can see. Are you in the living room? He's like, No, I'm in the kitchen. He's like, Oh, there's somebody standing in the kitchen, but I can't. He's not sure of it. And then when we see from his point of view, you can see that, that the naked dude, the big, tall, gaunt, pale, naked dude is kind of standing in the window of the kitchen. And then you can't tell at first if he's looking into the house or looking out of the house. And then it just keeps going back and forth because he's doing that one thing where it's like camera one, camera two, where he's he's going between panes in a window, and in one pane he can see the guy standing there, and the other pane he can't, and then by the fifth or sixth time, the guy's right outside of his window, and he blows the window up in his face, and we don't know what happens. So then at that point, the American guy, we actually don't find out about what happens to him until later, but he is indisposed at one point, and so he gets knocked out, I believe, and the the younger detective leaves the house to check on his friend because he's worried because he heard what happened to him on the phone. Like he heard the the window explode. And so he discovered in the other house with the, now you can tell that I'm jumping all over the place because this is what happens is it gets so manic at the end of the movie that it's jumping between houses, jumping between situations, it's jumping between paranormal investigators that we don't know what's really happening or what time it's happening. And so he goes to the house that the creepy tall naked dude is now in because he crossed the street somehow and it's the house of the kid but basically what happens is we're introduced to the idea earlier in the film 
that he can only exist in the dark, but only at certain angles. So it's interesting how they convey this in the movie because of the way that things are shot and the way that sound is played with. The sound is great. And basically what happens is the younger detective goes in and everything looks okay, except he finds like the broken window glass and some blood and he can't find his friend. So then he goes to check this cabinet over by the wall. And when he looks at it straight on, he doesn't hear or see anything. But then when he looks at it from the side, he can hear somebody like kind of screaming, banging against it. And he goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth and tries to keep looking at it and figure out what's going on. But then at one, he just realizes and he's like, oh shit. And he pulls, he's like pulling and pulling, pulling and he pulls the side off the cabinet. And then we see the older detective is crammed in there and he's just got glass in his eyes and he starts screaming like, oh, I've got glass in my eyes. I can't see. But we can tell he's already, he's basically dead. Like he's in this weird, like dark half dimension with like glass in his eyes and he's freaking out and then at that point this guy starts to really freak out and he probably he probably thinks the american guy's dead he knows his one friend's dead with glass in his eyes and then so he's like okay shit like i gotta find out the if the other woman's all right so then he goes to the third house to check on her and she's just still chilling like nothing's going on she's still looking in the crack trying to communicate with this guy who's stuck in the crack and yeah this is where it starts to get really weird so then he's freaking out he's you can tell he's getting more and more like like he's kind of hyperventilating a little bit and he's like just half smoking half eating the cigarette and he's like screaming he's just like we gotta get out of here it's not safe like they died like i just saw two guys die and then she sort of says what you think is like, oh, well, the ghosts are fucking with you. Everything isn't what it appears. You might see something, but it's not real. And don't worry about it. Like, it's not. And it's just, it's, you can, you can tell something bad's going to happen. Because, like, at this point, the person or the thing that she was looking at in the crack looks at her as she looks away and she's talking to him. And so it almost tells that she's not paying attention. It can tell she's, she's not paying attention. And then as she's talking with him and explaining, don't worry, it's probably fine. Like we've seen this sort of stuff before. They play tricks on your, your mind. You might see the worst, terrible, most awful thing, but it's not real. It's not actually happening. And then as she's midway explaining this, this giant arm and hand with these long, creepy fingers reaches out grabs her whole head and just like twists and pulls and she just dies like you just hear like every bone and muscle sinew in her neck just disappear and she's just like folded in half and at that point the younger detective with the heart condition has a massive heart attack and it is terrifying because he just the cigarette drops out of his mouth and you can tell like his breathing is just and he's freaking and he's sweating and he's so gross and he's trying to get away trying so hard to get away and he sees the thing start to crawl whatever it is is crawling out of the wall and the the woman was trying to explain to him that it, this is where it gets confusing for me and like it, it loses some more points for me because then she starts to sort of explain how it might it's not that it might not be ghosts but like that maybe ghosts or whatever these creatures are demons ghosts what have you exist on another plane and that maybe she was understanding that this crack on the wall actually led to a different universe or a different dimension that was leading that was letting them through and that's why the whole neighborhood was haunted because it was in an area where this crack was letting things in from this other dimension and they were just kind of inhabiting and haunting and doing their thing and so at that point it's almost more not sci-fi but like it's still pretty spooky but now there's this giant thing that just snapped her in half coming to get them and this is where it gets real good so he's having his heart attack He's trying to crawl away. This thing's coming up to get him. And all of a sudden he looks up and the kid's mom is in the window with like a knife or something. 
and he's like reaching out to her she comes in and all of a sudden the other thing's gone and he's like begging her like you need to take me to a hospital I'm dying I'm having a heart attack all these other people are dead it's not safe we gotta go and then she says all these things like you let my boy die like I wanted to keep my boy but you made him bury him again and then there was a scene earlier in the movie where they insist on burying him again but then they cover him in concrete because they don't want him to get out again because they at that point they're acknowledging the fact that this kid has been running around and so she's pissed that they buried the kid in concrete without asking her because she found out that they had this whole plan because the kid's friend recorded it and we find out that the kid's friend's mom called her and showed her the video at some point and it's also at this point that we realize that it has been quite a lot of time in between these different events but then she finally says like fine i'll take you to the hospital they walk out of the house he's like limping and she's just like whatever in the car but you can tell she's covered in dirt and when they get to her car the kid's dead body is in the back of her car again she like dug it up through the concrete through everything got the kid back in her car and then she's freaking at that point she's screaming at him like you can't this is what you get this is my kid he's mine you can't keep me from him blah 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 and so as she's just screaming at him he's still just dying of this heart attack and he limps over to his car gets in his car he's like trying to turn on the and <laughs> this is one of the best parts of the movie as he's trying to turn the ignition of his car the woman from the house that just got like snapped in half comes running out of the house with her neck is like three feet long and like flopping from side to side like her head is drooping down but it's facing forward and her mouth is moving and she's yelling like you let me die blah 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 and it's terrifying and she just starts banging against the door of the car and then he just zooms off and it's at this point it's just over the top spooky terrifying like you can't tell what's real if anything's real if it is it's fucked and so he's having a heart attack, trying to drive himself to a hospital, gets to, I believe, a gas station or something and stops and just sort of collects his breath, still still essentially having a heart attack, and then gets a call on a walkie-talkie from one of his partners, and his partner's like, hey, you called us in, you sounded pretty panicked, I'm here, everything seems fine, I don't see anybody, I don't see anything. And then there's this weird scene where he's talking to him. He's like, dude, get out of there, whatever you do. Don't go into the houses. Just get out of there. Don't go into the houses. And his partner's like, oh, I see your friend, the old detective. He's walking towards me. He doesn't look like he's doing okay, but, like, he looks kind of weird. Should I see if he's all right? And he's like, no, just get out of there. Get out of there, get out of there. And he's like, okay, fine, like, I'll leave. But at first he's, like, ignoring him. He's ignoring everything he says, and it gets this creepy vibe. It's like, oh, is this guy already dead? Like, what's going on? And then he decides to double back after that after he says that he sees his friend so he turns around it's at this point you realize he gets out of his truck or his car or whatever it is and he pulls out two giant jerry jerry cans of uh gas and runs into the the woman's house with the kid and it's at this point you realize he's thinking that if he burns it all down it'll just get rid of whatever is cursing the whole neighborhood or whatever's going on so he's just dropping gas on everything and He's leading a whole line of guy. He throws, like, one of the jerry cans, and he's, like, coming out, and he's got the other one, and he leads it all the way out of the house. And then he's about to strike the match. He looks up, and there's his friend with just, like, a whole face. Like, his his eyes are still moving around, but there's glass in them, and it's all gross and, like, meaty and chunky and, ugh, it's hideous. And he's just kind of looking at him. He's not trying to hurt him or anything. He's not yelling anymore. He's just, like, existing. And he just sets the whole place on fire. And then... We, there's something I'm forgetting here, but this is why you have to see the movie. I'm not spoiling the whole movie because I know I'm leaving a little bit out here, but it's so good. It's so creepy and so good. And then 
we jump back to the prison or jail or what have you with the husband who was initially the one who's trying to get out of trouble here. We're all convinced that he didn't kill his wife because one, we saw it, but two, there's a lot of fucked up things happening on that street. And there's three other people who are with him in the interrogation room basically being like, hey, you remember those people who visited you a few months back? And he's like, yeah. And like, you remember their names? No, not really. And then there's a realization where he's like, oh, well, hey, like, do you remember this one? And they say one of the names. He's like, oh, yeah, that was the detective. And they're like, okay, well, so he's actually, we can't find him anywhere, but he's wanted for essentially burning down the entire neighborhood. And we don't know what happened to these other people. We have no idea he might have killed them. And he's suspected in several murders. And he's all, that's the thing is they're, they're convinced that maybe he did the whole thing and that he's responsible for killing his wife. So they're trying to build a case against this detective because he killed the, they're, they're thinking he killed these other people. Maybe he killed this guy's wife. And then there's this great moment as they wrap the film where he's like, oh, yeah. And then there was that American man. He, he's with you, right? And they're all like, they all like look behind them and there's nobody behind them. And they're like, no, like we, we think he perished in the fire. Nobody's seen him since the fire. And he's like, oh yeah, like he looks like he's burnt. Like he looks like he died in a fire. And then they all kind of look, look back again. And the chair in the back of the room lifts up and just like throws at the camera. Like one last final jump scare. And that's how the film wraps. And it is so good. That is terrified you will be terrified for this movie i would say definitely watch it in a room with no lights on definitely watch it with some friends great date movie spanish horror at its finest definitely ooky spooky feels i'd say this movie has received praise well garnered praise because of the fact that it is very successful doesn't feel too cheesy besides some of the story elements that i said lose some points from me it is very well conducted, very well crafted. There is, though, I am remembering right now, there is a scene in the beginning of the movie where it's a scene with the guy trying to sleep when he's got the big, crazy, naked guy hiding under his bed. And you do see a, a, a mic boom lower into the scene because it's... I don't even know why. There's a there's a mirror on the opposite side of the room, and I thought maybe that would be something cool they could have played with, like maybe we'll see something in the mirror, and you focus on it for a while, but you don't see anything in the mirror except for the microphone. <laughs> that sort of ruins the illusion a little bit. But otherwise, the, the, the mirror probably didn't even have to be there at all. So little things like that, like little execution things, but besides that, the movie is great. Again, if you don't have Shudder, I highly recommend getting it, especially for the rest of October at least. Some really good stuff coming on there, especially in the next few months, but definitely terrified. If you have any opportunity to get it, either watch it on Shutter or purchase it through iTunes or find some other streaming service that has it, watch this film, especially in October. Great, great, spooky October ghost movie. And yeah, with that, I've just been talking for the last however long. I need a little bit more of this bourbon, so I'm going to be wrapping the episode there. Thank you. So much, dear listeners, for tuning into another episode of Fear Boners. I've been your host, Andrew. But before I get into telling you all where you can find us on the internet, as per usual, I'd like to give a special thanks to our friend from over on the Down in Front podcast, Mike Buddy Boy Blewett, for composing and creating our brand new theme song. So if you listen to the new intro and outro music that was introduced in one of our most recent episodes, our year anniversary episode, you'll notice that it is brand new original 
music that he actually put together himself. It was something we'd been planning for a really long time, and he surprised me with it just the other day. I think it turned out perfect. I'm super excited and super pumped to use it going forward. Let us know what you guys think. If you enjoyed the song, if you enjoy the new theme song for the show, uh, let us know. I'm sure Mike would be happy to hear it. So any feedback you have on that as well, feel free to shoot it over to us. And if you like what you've heard, you can find more over on downinfrontpodcast.com. We also have a Facebook page over on facebook.com backslash downinfrontpodcast. You can also email the Down In Front guys directly at the crew at downinfrontpodcast.com. We also have a YouTube channel where we post some of our video teasers as well as full episodes. You can look for us on there. We also have the Gamescast over on Twitch where sometimes you'll see Bryland or maybe Warren and myself playing some Monster Hunter or Spider-Man or what have you, just shooting the shit. You can find that over at twitch.tv backslash down in front podcast. We also have an Instagram where we post a lot of the art from our episodes, the title pages, as well as links directly to the episodes. You can follow us there to keep you up to date. All of these places, as well as Twitter, at underscore D-I-F-P, or at Fearboners D-I-F-P, we will constantly keep you updated with new content when we release new things, or you can also go back and look at our back catalog. We're well over 100 episodes at this point, so there's so much listening for you. If it's a new movie, if it's an old movie, classic movie, we have an episode for you at this point that you're probably going to want to listen to if you haven't already heard it. And also, also, also... You guys have heard me say this a few times already, but goes without saying, we love you. We love having this ongoing conversation, and we do it absolutely for free. But if for any reason you feel like you'd love to contribute and help us make sure that we get this content out to you on time, then take a look over at Patreon at patreon.com backslash down in front podcast you can potentially sign up to uh, dedicate a dollar, five dollars a month, what have you. Even a dollar helps. Like an Arizona iced tea, the price is on the can. Every little bit helps us to get this content out to you on time, fresh, and delivered to your ears, whether it be on your lunch break, on your commute to work, from work, what have you. We'd love to have you listen to us wherever you are, even if it's on the toilet. That doesn't bother us. Just don't tell us about it. So anyway, thanks again for listening. We'll be back sooner rather than later. And as always... Keep it creepy and stay spooky, dear listeners. Mm-hmm.